circus and everything like that. And now he's kind of scaling back and looking at everything that he's seen in some detail. And so in this text, he notices that there's water issuing from below the threshold here. And you notice that this trickle of water is going out towards the eastern side of the temple. Now, in the Bible, what direction is associated with the east? Well, in Genesis, uh, after Adam and Eve are evicted from the garden, what direction do they go? To the east. When After Cain kills Abel, he goes east of Eden. East is a direction that sin goes in Genesis. And now this, this same direction is where this river is going. So you notice then that Ezekiel exits by the north gate. So that means he would have been going up around here. And then he comes all the way over here. You, you kind of ask the question, well, why didn't he just go out the east gate? That's the closer one. Ezekiel 44, 1 and 2, tell us that that is the Lord's gate. The Lord had passed through that gate, so nobody, no human should be going through that right now. And so Ezekiel goes up this side, and then he goes over here, and still on the south side of this threshold here, he notices that the water is still trickling out, but it's gotten a little deeper, so that this angel tells him, I want you to go 1,500 feet, 1,000 cubits. And uh, he, he walks you know, a, a third of a mile. <clears throat> and after he walks a third of a mile, the water has become ankle deep. Now, one of the things that I really liked about living in Southern California is that Southern California has the same climate as Israel, as the Promised Land. So when people from Alabama say that that's God's country, they're actually wrong about that. Uh, if there's any part of the United States that geographically is God's country or is similar to it, it was Southern California. So uh, I don't mean that like for real, you know what I mean. I'm just joking around. But uh, So I know from living in Southern California that it's, it's dirt. Why is California called the Golden State? I don't think it's because of the gold rush. It's because of all the dirt. It looks gold. Like, but that, it, gold is a better way of saying it than dirt. But anyways, uh, if, you, if you drop some water on the desert floor, what happens to the water? It gets soaked up right away. This little trickle that's leaving the sanctuary of God, you go a third of a mile, and you can hear uh, Ezekiel's feet sloshing around in the water because it's gotten deeper. But this angel tells him to go another thousand cubits. So now he's gone two-thirds of a mile, and it's become knee-deep. Have you ever walked in knee-deep water? It starts to slow you down a little bit, so he's walking slower now. For a third time, he's told to go, and it's waist-deep now. Uh, There's nothing in this text about any tributary rivers going into this, by the way. It all started with this little trickle from the temple. And it's gotten bigger and bigger and bigger, and he's a mile now. For the fourth time, the angel says, go again. And it becomes so deep after one and one-third miles that he can't cross through it anymore. So he has to get up onto the bank of the river. And notice that the angel asks him, hey, Ezekiel, have you seen this? Have you seen this? Uh, If this picture could have been bigger, this river would have kept going this way, all the way over there, right right to Philip or something. Uh, And so... Ezekiel is looking at this from a very long distance. And the question is, have you seen this? Now, think about that question for yourself. Have you seen this imagery in the Bible before and what this even means? As Ezekiel is standing one and one-third mile away from the temple, he notices on either side of the river on the banks, there's very many trees. Uh, So there's all kinds of life now. Notice, though, in verse 8, that this river... 
eventually exits and enters into the sea. Now, uh, what sea, this text doesn't specify what sea it is in verse 8. What sea is so famous to the east that you don't even have to name it? It's the Dead Sea. The, de- the Mediterranean was, was to, to the west. So this is the sea that's to the east. Now, what is the Dead Sea? It's the lowest point on earth below sea level. 1,400 feet below sea level. It's a giant pit. And I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the Dead Sea where people try to like swim in it and they, they float in it. The Dead Sea is made up of 35% salt and minerals. If you go to the ocean... It's 3.5% salt and minerals. This is 10 times more than the ocean. And in, this, in the, salt, the, the, the Dead Sea, it's called the Dead Sea probably because everything's dead around there. Uh, I, I just mentioned that California, Southern California is like the same kind of place as Israel. California has its own version of the Dead Sea. It's called the Salton Sea. And it's one of the most ugly and beautiful places that you can go to. In the 1950s, it used to be a, like a, a resort place. There's all kinds of hotels that were all around it. But then uh, the chemicals from the, the farming got into that place and just destroyed everything. So if you visit it, there's abandoned cities around the Salton Sea. Uh, you can still see the dead fish bones on, on, the, uh, on the shore, and it smells terrible. Do you think Ezekiel would have known about the Dead Sea? Probably would have known about it. I don't know if he ever would have visited it, but he would have known about it. In verse 9, this river has caused that which was dead to flourish with life. By the way, were there any other rivers that entered into the, to the Dead Sea? Uh, the, the Jordan River, right? Did the Jordan River ever give life to the, to the Dead Sea? No. This river does, though. And Ezekiel notices that there's so many fish, there's all these fishermen all over the place, and this place that was once dead has now been given life all over again. You notice, though, in verse 11, that there are swamps and marshes. Now, I I, I think there might be a couple reasons for the swamps and marshes. I'll give you one reason right now. The swamps and marshes are left for the salt, in verse 11. Well, why would you need salt? Well, maybe uh, they're left for the salt because the sacrifices at the temple oftentimes required salt. It's a vision, so that's where they would get the salt for the sacrifices. I don't know. Maybe that's part of it. But we're going to get to another reason at the end of the lesson. But as Ezekiel's looking at all of this, he looks closer at the trees, and he sees that these trees are yielding different kinds of fruit that bring healing to the nations. Notice that this place that used to take and take and take from the Jordan River and didn't give anything back, has now become something that gives life. Now, what, what do you do with a passage like this? I'm going to suggest that, first of all, this passage is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Uh, and, and you can think, uh, maybe started, starting out with the source of where this river came from. In Minnesota, Lake Itasca is where the Mississippi River starts. This river started where? started in the temple. A couple times in this text, the text begins and ends by saying that this river came from the temple, or in verse 12, it comes from the sanctuary. Now, are there any New Testament places that tell us that Jesus was the temple? 
Remember in John chapter 2, verses 19 through 21, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. The New Testament teaches that Jesus is the temple. God dwelled in Jesus. Which means that if Jesus is, is kind of the picture here of this, this river that gives life, do you want to know what the source is of all the blessings you've ever wanted? It's all in Jesus. He's the source of everything that you've ever needed, everything you've ever wanted. And you notice, secondly, the direction of the flow. Where is this river going? Uh, in verse 8, this river is going towards the dead sea. It's going towards things that are dead. In the Old Testament, the question about the temple was, who can enter it? And if anybody tried going into it and they weren't authorized, they were killed. You notice that in the Old Testament, people had very, the access to the temple was very limited. But in this text, the blessings of the temple are going out to everybody. Think about Jesus' earthly ministry. What kind of people did he flow towards? Did he flow towards people that were dead? People that used to be people that would take and take and take and never give to anybody. And then eventually he came into their life and he changed them forever. Maybe think about uh, John chapter 4. Uh, the woman at the well. She's been married five times. She's shacking up with a sixth guy. Even the Samaritans think she's disgusting. And then Jesus comes up to her and says that you need living water. And he tells her that if you believe in me, you're, uh, you're going to have this, this well of living water welling up to eternal life. He uses water imagery to describe this life that he can give her. Uh, by society standards, the woman at the well, she's gross. But in the chapter right before that, Jesus goes to Nicodemus. And by society's standards, he's a pretty righteous guy. He, if you read John chapter 3 carefully, you notice that Jesus says, you are the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things. You're, you're the teacher. You're the guy that everybody looks up to. And Jesus tells Nicodemus that you have to be born again. You have to be born of water and spirit. He uses the same kind of imagery for Nicodemus and for the woman at the well. Now, you think about this room right now. Are there some people in this room that before they were converted... The world would have looked at you and said, okay, you've got some flaws, but generally speaking, you've got it together. And then there's other people in this room that the world would say, before you were converted, you were pretty messed up and you really needed Jesus. You know what the truth is? No matter what any of our backgrounds are, we equally needed the same thing. Nicodemus, the woman at the well. It doesn't matter where we've come from. If we're all sinners, which we are, we needed Jesus' forgiveness so that we wouldn't be counted as sinners in his sight anymore. Jesus flowed towards people that were dead. And eventually, he did that to our own life. You try to think about us being like the Dead Sea. Uh, how many of us tried to draw life from the wrong sources? of life, uh, from the wrong sources? Just like the Dead Sea would try to draw life from the Jordan River, it never gave it to How many of us tried to draw life from things that were killing us? Before I was ever a Christian, music was my God. Uh, sports was my God. Those things are still part of my life, but they're in their proper context now. There's different things that we try to pull meaning from and life from that don't work. Until one day, Romans 5.5 5 happens. 
Notice the river imagery in this passage, by the way. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And he makes us teeming with life and hope that we never had before. Now, notice a third thing, though, about how this predicts Jesus is the manner of the flow of the water. So you've got the source of the flow, all the blessings come from Jesus, the direction of the flow, he flows towards things that are dead. But thirdly, the manner of the flow. Uh, This text shows us that the river starts with a trickle. It started out small, and then it became really big. How does that show, how does that picture Jesus? Here's Jesus born uh, of a virgin in a city that is not very important. Uh, and then, and then when Jesus starts his ministry, before that, he was a carpenter. Uh, he's not a mover and shaker of society. He's not a politician. He's, he's, not, he's not on the news. And then uh, he starts his ministry, and he picks 12 common, uneducated people that the world would have said that you guys, you 12 losers that they might say, you guys can't do anything in your city. You can't do anything in your country. You can't do anything in the world. If you lived in this time period and you saw Jesus with his, his initial followers and then you looked across the street and you saw a Roman military outpost and somebody was to ask you, hey, which, which of these two do you think is going to last longer? This movement here of these pathetic people by worldly standards or these strong Romans and their strong organization? Well, everybody would have said the Romans. But Jesus is the one that in Acts chapter 2, there's 3,000 people baptized. It begins that day 2,000 years later. We're here part of this. Uh, Have you ever heard of the butterfly effect? It's the theory that if a butterfly flaps its wings in the forest, it creates this chain reaction that eventually causes a hurricane or a tsunami or whatever word you want to use. Jesus' ministry started out small. And look how big it became. You never would have predicted from this small trickle that it would have gone into the Dead Sea of all places and made it have life. Notice then, I would suggest also though, that this passage is a prediction and a foreshadowing of you. Think about this from a couple different perspectives. From, from the same three things that we just noticed with Jesus. Notice the source of the flow. Um... I'll just go ahead and and put this passage up right now. John chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. Jesus says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. All right, this is on the Feast of Booths. Uh, This is one of the the last feasts for the Jews for the year. And uh, on the last day of the Feast of the Booths, the, Jews, the Jewish priests would go down to the Kidron Valley and they would take buckets of water and they would dump it out into the, te- the temple courts. And the reason that they would do that is they knew that these Old Testament prophecies talked about this water that was going to come and give life, metaphorically, to the nation. And so on the last day of the feast, this is the last day when Jesus does this, if you started in, uh, uh, if, uh, does it say it? No, he says, I think it's verse 39, it says it was the last day of the feast, maybe the right verse before. Anyways, they would dump out seven buckets of water. And uh, Jesus, on the last day of the feast, gets up and he says, If anyone's thirsty, come to me. And if you drink of the things that I have to give you, as the scripture has said, notice this, where did the scripture ever say that out of your heart will flow rivers of living water? Where did it ever say that? Maybe Ezekiel 47. 
Because are Christians called the temple of God? Jesus is the temple of God. But 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, you've got different passages, 1 Peter chapter 2, that tells Christians that we also are the temple of God. And when we are serving the Lord, we're given this knowledge and information that flows out of our hearts that helps people know what they need to do to be saved. So then, let's apply the same thing that we did to Jesus to ourselves, that the direction of the flow. This river flowed towards things that were dead. Do you do that? Do you flow towards things that are dead? You know what I'm afraid sometimes happens with Christians? Is we say, all right, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. And as long as I'm here, I'm going to seclude myself from everybody. Because everybody's gross. And everybody's disgusting. And everybody's got issues. And And so I'm just not going to deal with anybody's... I'm not going to help anybody. In the book of Acts you've got Christians that are being scattered all over the place. After the persecution of Stephen, it's like this, this persecution stomps on the Christians and they go all over the place. And guess what they do when they scatter? They go everywhere trying to find a place to meet on Sundays. Is that what, is that what they do? I'm not against them doing that. But they go everywhere preaching the Word. And guess who's not with them? The Apostles. Who was involved in going towards that which was dead and preaching the word? The average, ordinary Christian. I'm not saying every Christian has the same responsibility and the same task when it comes to evangelism. We're all going to have our different part to play in that. But the Christians were out doing that. Reminds me of Isaiah 32, verse 2. I think this is another Old Testament passage that has this imagery. That we're going to be like streams of water in a dry place. All right, try to catch this. In Southern California again, there is a city in California on the border of Mexico, and it's called Calexico, Calexico, because it's on the California side, but it's by Mexico. And then in Mexico, on, right on the other side, there's a city called Mexicali, because it's on the side of Mexico, but it's on the border of California. All right, so one of the guys at the church that I worked with in California he had uh, a lot of like rental property out in California. He also had his uh, in, in Calexico, and he also had like his own little private plane. And so he took me on his little private plane from San Diego to Calexico. And as I was looking out of his plane, it was desert, 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 and then suddenly a ton of farms. And I asked him, I said, Alan, why suddenly is there all this life in the middle of a dry place? And he said, well the Colorado River had been redirected in the early 1900s to give life to this area. Do you know how the Christian should view himself and herself? That when you go to work, in your family, if your family's not Christian, it's a dry and thirsty people that don't have any life. And you're like the Colorado River that needs to be redirected into their life to have the words to speak to them that's going to give them life. This is how we need to view ourselves. But then think finally about the manner of the flow. It started out small and it got big. And I think we as Christians need to learn from this that we are not to be people who despise small things. Remember in Isaiah 53 where it talks about uh, how he was like a shoot out of dry ground, Jesus, and then he became the the shoot of Jesse and, and everything. Uh, you wouldn't look at a little a little stump or a little shoot out of dry ground and go, yeah, that's going to be the most important tree that was, has ever been planted. 
Christians of all people should be those who don't despise small things because we serve Jesus who was despised by the world. But think about how this might look in your life. Are there disciplines in the Christian life that might seem small and maybe boring sometimes, like prayer and reading your Bible and coming to church, things that don't really seem like that big of a deal? But when you add the cumulative effect of these things into your life, it creates somebody who's strong and can give life to other people. Why is it the case that some people eventually become qualified to become an elder? It's because they didn't despise small disciplines of reading their Bible and, and, and praying to the Lord and, and having the humility to ask other people questions when they didn't know the answer to something. And then eventually they become the kind of person that people go to for help. But it's because they didn't despise small, secret sorts of disciplines that nobody else knew that they were doing. What about a small invitation? How many of you were converted because somebody invited you to read your Bible? Or invited you to some small thing that you wouldn't have thought would have eventually grown to that person becoming a Christian, then maybe that person knows other people that become Christians, and so on and so forth. You can never despise what a small invitation can do. You can never despise what a small encouragement can do. Uh, you want to know the story of how I started preaching. I was in Minnesota, and the guy that had baptized me that I was studying with every week, uh, about six months after I became a Christian, he said, Hey, Eric, you should think about preaching. And I said, No, let's change the subject. I do not want to do that. I'm going to go into marketing. And since that conversation, that small thing that he said to me grew until I decided to give my life to doing that work. Do you, how important do you think it could be to write somebody a simple, small card? Send somebody a text message of encouragement. You don't know what a small word of encouragement could do for somebody. But you give to God things that might seem small and let Him grow those things, however He wants to grow them. Do you remember when the disciples, when Jesus says, we have to feed this group of 5,000 men, and the disciples say, well, we only got enough for like two fish sandwiches. He says, just give me what you have, and I'm going to make it grow. You give to him what you have, and he'll make it grow. He'll work with what you give. I asked earlier why there might be the swamps and the marshes. Maybe they're there uh, for the, the salt for the sacrifices. Uh, but a swamp or a marsh, that's not like flowing water. That's not healthy, good water. I think maybe part of the idea to this is that this river of life flows by anybody who wants it, but there's going to be some people who in their pride and in their arrogance will still say, I don't need that. And you're going to stay a swamp or a marsh. Please don't be that person. Have the humility to know that the things that you've tried to pull life from and draw life from have not worked. Have the humility to come to the Lord, let Him change your heart and change your outlook and perspective on everything. Uh, this is a good opportunity to think about where we are spiritually. If you need this river of life in your life, it will bring healing and uh, true living the way that God intended us to have. If there's anything we can do for you, please come forward while we stand and while we sing.
Saturday afternoon to hear God's word and to uh, be encouraged by being around brethren. Um, please remember that tomorrow morning we have our uh, morning uh, assembly at 9.30. We will get together and have a lesson at that time. And then again at 10.30, uh, we'll have a second lesson uh, tomorrow. And as well tomorrow afternoon, we'll have our, our um, 2 o'clock service at that time as well. Um, remember, if you have any announcements, Mike, you have Dear God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we can come together. We uh, thank you for um, our brother Eric and um, his uh, ability to come here and uh, be with us for the lessons that, that he's brought. We pray that you'll please help us to dwell on these things, uh, especially to consider how we can uh, reach out to others and um, and uh, and work on our own lives. and. Um, Pray that you please be with us uh, this this evening as we uh, leave here. That you'll please keep us safe. Uh, pray that you'll help us in uh, preparing for tomorrow. All of us, um, not just those who lead, but but uh, everyone that uh, plans to be in attendance tomorrow. That uh, we can be prepared to to serve you properly um, on um, on the first day of the week. And, um, <clears throat> I just thank you for uh, all the saints, saints that uh, um, that are members of this work and, and uh, continue to attend. And um, we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.